Hello and welcome to West Indies on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. My name is Master St. Patrick Hewitt, one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And with me as ever is my other co-host, Santoki Nagilendron, also part of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. We are West Indies on 99.94, your new home for West Indies cricket content. And we'll be dropping into your podcast feed or on YouTube or the 99.94 app three times every week. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Today on West Indies on 99.94, we'll be talking about (laughs) the victorious Jamaica Talawar's league campaign. They've qualified for the playoffs of uh, CPL and Santoki and I are going to look at how good of a campaign did the Talawas have this year. Santoki, take it away. Yeah, now for those of you listening on to audio who haven't got the visual, unfortunately you won't be able to see Beside my co-host or behind him is a proud Jamaica Talawa signed shirt that just shows the extent as to how much of a super fan Michelle is number one Jamaica Talawa's fan. So this is a perfect episode for us to sort of dissect how we think Jamaica Talawa's have done. Now, the facts are they've made it through to the playoffs this season. Surprising to a lot of people. I mean, on our preview show we've done with Samuel Badry um, before the CPL started, we were kind of unsure as to how they would line up and sort of what their strategy has been. Now, Shivnarayan Chandapur, head coach, alongside his assistant, Curly Ambrose, have proved us wrong and taken the Talawas to the playoffs. They're a few games away from glory. And we're here to break down just how they managed to navigate themselves through the group stages. So, Michelle, as the Jamaican in this conversation, it's only right you kick us off. Where do you want to start with the Talawas this season? Do you know what? The, the, the first place to start with the Talawas is to go back in history a bit. because. They've been a bit of a joke franchise for at least the last three seasons. And, and, and it's weird, Santoki, because in the context of CPL, the Talawas have had a bit of a, without putting too much of a gloss on it, but they've had a bit of a storied history, two times winners. Um, often up until 2018, they'd only ever missed the playoffs once. You always expected to see them in the final four. Um, but since 2019, like I say, if you take, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll just read it out to you. In the uh, 31 games between the 2019 season and the end of the 2021 season, the Talawas have only won a total of nine games. And if that kind of sums everything up for me. I mean, if I go into a bit more detail, in 2019, they won two out of 10 games. In 2020, they won three out of 11 games. And in 2021, they won four out of 10. So the... This isn't a good franchise right now. And as you kind of alluded to, Santelki, before the tournament started, I was op- I was very open with it. I said I thought I thought the team was weak. I thought and yet another team where I thought the team construction doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, I couldn't see how the Talawas were going to take a lot of wickets. Um, I didn't think they had enough batting depth in their side. But it depends what you call a. I'm coming to you now, Santoki. It depends what you call a success. A success matrix in CPL, right? The Talawas have ended their league campaign with a record of played ten, won four, washout one, lost five. Okay, um, three of those wins came right at the beginning of the tournament when they got out of the blocks super quick, to the surprise of pretty much everyone. 
So they've basically won what one game out. <laughs> they basically won one game out of the last six, and still and still made it through into into the final four. So in some ways, Santoki, success is success. Getting to the final four is the first part of mission accomplished. So success is success. But there's ways to be successful, Santoki. And I guess the line for me is: Have the Tanawas been successful in the context of? surpassing what was expected or do you look at their record and go okay yeah you've made the playoffs but it's not like it's a winning record how, how do you view it Santoki? yeah it's a strange one because as you said they've surpassed a lot of people's expectations just by making the playoffs but if you look at their record winning four games and losing five by any stretch of the imagination it's been a, that's a mediocre performance, really, in, in the group stages. I think the thing with the CPL is we're four out of six teams going through. In theory, you could lose your first five games and still make it through to the playoffs. So it depends on how we want to sort of judge our standards. Is making the playoffs being what the top four out of six teams um, criteria for success? If you go to the playoffs in fourth place and crash out in the eliminator, does that still mean you've had a successful season because you made it to the playoffs? So it depends sort of on what your gauge is. I think... Bearing in mind, for a lot of people, Jamaica Talawas probably were favourites to finish bottom. They have been successful by getting to the playoffs. But as you said, they started off with a bang, won their first, well, won three games early on. And then since then, they've sort of hit a slump. It'd be interesting to see if they recover that in time for the playoffs. I think generally, as I said, because of, only because of the expectations um, that fans had of the Talawas, I think you would say it's a a success for them to jump ahead Trimbago Knight Riders and the Patriots to kind of clinch that playoff spot. But on a general on a general level, looking at franchise cricket, for any franchise to lose five out of their ten games, you wouldn't deem that as a success. So it'd be interesting to see how they go. This season's been an unusual one in CPL in terms of so many teams have shared points. Nine points has managed to get teams through to the playoffs. So there isn't, aside from the Barbados Royals, there isn't another dominating team. So for all we know, the Talawas could cruise through those playoffs and manage to manage to lift the title. So there's all to play for. But I think as well, there are big, big question marks throughout that lineup, Mash. And most importantly, and I think it most definitely, sorry, and if I start with the batting, okay, so when I first saw the Talawas squad, um, I think I was on... Um, Hits 92 FM in, on Jamaican radio when the, uh, they asked me to come on to look at the drafted squad when it was announced. And that was three Jamaicans on that show then. And all of us agreed that this squad's useless. We all said it. Um, the host, myself and the, and the other guests like, this isn't a good squad. And one of the reasons why I didn't feel it was good was because when I looked at the batting, I couldn't work out who was going to bat in the top six. Obviously, I knew that Brandon King and Kanar Lewis would. And then when I got to number five, I was like, so who's coming in at number five? Is it Raymond Reefer or is it Fabian Allen? And whichever one of them it is, surely that's too high for them to be coming into, into, into the top order. You don't naturally associate someone like a Raymond Reefer or a Fabian Allen as a top five T20 batter. And I just thought that speaks to, yet again, Santoki, poor team planning, poor team construction, poor drafting, because... Once you get past those two, then it was like, well, then it's Chris Green or it's Imad Wazim and it's it's Miguel Pretorius. Like it it reads like a long tail, Santoki. Yet, like I say, they've managed to kind of muddle their way through it. And one of the reasons why, and we have to give him credit, one of the only two batters to score a century um in, in this tournament thus far. Brandon King has come home to the Talawas and probably Santoki. And this is a big question because although we're talking about the Talawas, it actually lends itself to the West Indies. 
Given Brandon King's form in this tournament for the Talawas, how does Evan Lewis get into the West Indies? How does he get into the West Indies team? It's a genuine question, Santoki, because he's not, Lewis hasn't performed for the, uh, the Patriots, but he's Evan Lewis. Brandon King has performed for the Talawas quite uh, spectacularly so, as is obviously Carl Mayers for the Barbados Royal. So do you think King's form for the Talawas does enough to not make Evan Lewis a certainty for the West Indies? Yeah, I think it's definitely going to raise questions. I think if you score a century, as you said, only him and Fafty Plessy have scored centuries this season. I think if you get the headlines for scoring a century, you have to take note of that. Obviously, he's put in other consistent performances throughout the tournament, along with Carl Mayers. So based on the fact that the selectors did say CPL was going to prove an indicator as to World Cup selections and team composition, you can only imagine there probably is debates going on at the moment as to who will be the two openers that start at the World Cup. You'd imagine the two T20s we play in about 10 days against Australia will sort of determine sort of who they go with. But Brandon King's name is definitely in the hat. And I think that sort of sums up the Jamaica Talawas in a weird way as well, because he scored that brilliant century against uh, Guyana, but they still managed to lose the match. And that sort of sums up the Talawas. You, they haven't really clicked yet. They've sort of they've had performances, good performances from individuals, but as a team, they just haven't clicked. And in those early games where they won three, it was the same formula. Their batsmen, they lost their opening early batsmen very early. And then they relied on Rothman Powell and Raymond Reefer to sort of rebuild and go from there. So you felt there was a lot of pressure on Rothman Powell to deliver. He managed to do that in the early games, but he hasn't been able to have that consistency similar to Raymond Reefer. So for me, the batting lineup, they've all, sh- aside from Kenar Lewis, all the other batsmen have sort of shown glimpses of what they can do, but they just never have clicked. And that sort of highlights why they've been in a slump for the second half of the CPL season. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Rothman because he was the person I was going to go to next. Obviously, Rothman is the captain. Um, <laughs> actually, said Tokyo, I should state. So, um, after the West Indies World Cup squad, <laughs> after the West Indies World Cup squad was announced, um, so this time I went on um, Jamaican TV to do an interview after West Indies World Cup squad was announced because they wanted uh, feedback on Fabian missing out and Andre Russell missing out, obviously, Jamaican TV. Anyways, the second half of that interview is actually about Rothman Powell. Now, at the time when that interview had taken place, Talawas were top. And, um, <laughs> or, they were, they were, or they were equal top or something like that. And I was asked if Rothman Powell was going to be a future West Indies captain. Um, and I, I guess part of me raising it to you, it shows how quick things can change. In, in, in West Indies cricket because at the time of that interview Talawas had won three out of three I think it was or three out of four and all was looking bright so it made sense that somebody was asking that question because people were like well obviously this must be down to Rodman's captaincy and so on and so forth now I'll admit that I said that I think Rodman's captaincy is, has shown has increased in maturity I think he's a better captain than he used to be I think he tries to make things happen he tries to get what he can get out of his squad he doesn't just let uh, games drift but actually if we just carry on the conversation about Rothman even more the Talawas have been one of the few teams I would say to use the West Indies players in the most likely place that they would be playing for the West Indies or should be playing for the West Indies now, Rothman has come in at number four pretty much all the time through the tournament, okay? And I'm not saying he's been completely consistent, but he's the second top scorer in the team, 223 runs at an average of 37, strike rate of 126. 
again, we've got, if we're speaking about the Talawas, I think we should speak about the West Indies. Rothman currently is used for the West Indies as a finisher. Would you move Rothman Powell up the order, Santolki, and ask him to come in to give added impetus at a number four? Where do you, where would you fit Rothman? It's an interesting one because I think Rothman's a good example of, of a situation batsman. I think if we lose three early wickets at the World Cup, Rothman's someone who can come in and rebuild, but not at a slow pace. So he can still go at over 120 and rebuild, as we saw him do in the early Jamaica Talawild games. So I would still primarily have Rothman as a finisher because he's explosive. We've seen him throughout West Indies this year, explosive in that position. But I could also see him as a sort of a joker in the pack coming in earlier if we need to rebuild our innings and he's perfect because he knows how to rotate strike he knows how to keep the um strike rate up whereas a lot of batsmen you find in the west indies when someone needs to come in and rebuild an innings they do it very very slowly almost as if they have to play odi cricket whereas i think rodman's got an understanding of how t20 cricket works so no matter what situation is he'll always be able to adapt and keep his strike rate up and keep the score ticking so i think rodman's an excellent player to have just because he offers those two dimensions i i'd primarily use him as a finisher if we're what if we're what 120 after 16 overs, Rodman's perfect to come in and hit a quick 40, hit a hit quick 50 off 18, 19 balls. Um, but at the same time, if we're like seven or eight for three, he can come in and back for 10 overs, but keep the scoring rate up. So he's a very dynamic player, and I think it'll be interesting to see kind of how West Indies do use him. But I primarily still keep him as, as a finisher, um, just because he's kind of been groomed towards that for West Indies in the past year. People, if you uh, disagree with Santoki, you know where to at us at Caribbean Cricket. Um, Twitter, Instagram, if you've got any views on that. Um, and Santoki, before we shift to the bowlers and look at the the bowling campaign for the Talawas, I think um, the other name we should touch on with regards to the link to the to the West Indies is Raymond Reefer. Now, be honest, Santoki, prior to the start of CPL, would you have considered Raymond Reefer for the T20 World Cup? And it's worth me just say, and I think we've got to be very careful here, Santoki, because so Raymond Reefer is the Talawa's third top scorer in this tournament. Eight matches, 178 runs, average of 20, sorry, average of 30, strike rate of 136, 150. Now on paper, that's good. That's good. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying that it's, that it's something that doesn't warrant looking at. But remember, the World Cup squad was chosen after the opening games of the competition, like three games had gone. At that point, Talawas were top three from three, or I think it was. And he'd had a really good 60. How much do you think recency bias got Reefer his pick? Because what I'm trying to say, Sandog, is if the team was picked now, after the end of the group stages, would Reefer still have got into the World Cup squad? I think it, I think it is definitely recency bias sort of put him in selectors' minds, and I think just what he offers both with the bat and ball, and probably they think thought about how he could use that in in Australian conditions. But I think yeah, recency bias. He was at the right place at the right time, as you said. The deadline for for the squad announcements was just when Jamaica was at the top of the table. Reefer was in good form, but you know that's how T Twenty works. Often you pick the players who are who are in form and have the momentum and take them to a World Cup and go from there. So 
I can see why he was picked, but it is surprising, especially because Rifa, whether it be test cricket or white ball cricket, all someone on the fringes who never gets the call up. So we, when we had our preview show, we didn't even discuss his name because we just hadn't considered him. So the fact he's managed to throw them in, throw his name in there, it, I, I would say it was surprising. But when you've got Yannick making the World Cup squad, I think so there's no rules in, in West Indies World Cup selection. So I think Rifa will, I think he will do a good job. Um, Hopefully he can regain some form, but it'll be interesting to see how he does does perform in the World Cup. But Mesh, I want to ask you what two things. Firstly, talking about World Cup uh, selections, Shamar Brooks was obviously backup opener, not before CPL. Now he's not even making the first team in, for the Jamaica Talawas. Poor run of form. He's only played five games this season. Can't see him making it back um, for the playoffs. But more importantly, Kenar Lewis. Now he's someone who. I know Jamaican fans are very fond of just because of his style of play. He's sort of he's traditionally gone gone from the off, swung swung it from the first ball. He's had a pretty poor season. Bearing in mind what he's done for Jamaica Talawas in the past, if you were selecting the side for next year, would Kenar Lewis still be your first choice opener with Brandon King? It's a really good question. It's a really good question. The only thing I will say, again, I've, I think I've referenced this before in other podcasts we've done, but... Um, Rothman Powell said a year ago, I think it was even over a year ago, it's after, I think it was, no, it was before last year's, just before last year's CPL, he did an interview in Jamaica, and he said that the Talawas think tanks are those who actually have a say on the draft, were trying to, were in discussions with lots of the Jamaican players at other franchises to bring them back to the Talawas. So with that, Fabian came back. With that, Brandon King came back. I, based on those words, I don't see how they let a Canal Lewis go. I, I, I see them putting this down to just being a bit of a blip of a season. Um, because if you got rid of Canal Lewis, what are you going to do? You're going to have to get in an overseas opener. Like if you want this, if you kind of want this Jamaican, um, what do you call it? Like a Jamaican foundation to the side. I can't think of another Jamaican opener. There's Leroy Lug, but come on. I can't think of another Jamaican opener that they're going to go for. What, John Campbell? Does he get a T20 contract? <laughs> or do you, or do you, <laughs> or do you bring back the universe boss? So I, I, I see, I see Kanar Lewis uh, getting a go, but there's no, there's no hiding from the fact that he's had a very substandard, substandard tournament. Um, and like you say, Santoki, just to re- reiterate the first point you actually made, Shamar Brooks. If it was down to you, he would have been nowhere near the West Indies squad in the first place. And it's it's quite apt in that regard that in this season's um, CPL, he's played five matches. I should read out the full figures. Five matches, 38 runs, average of 10 at a strike rate of 93. And that's not to denigrate Shamar Brooks, but it is just to reiterate your points in Tolki that how did we ever get in a position where Shamar was the viable backup option anyway? I think... I think we can't even criticise Shamar Brooks because he's always predominantly been a Red Bull player, but I think it sort of speaks volumes for the state of West Indian T20 cricket at the moment. It seems like if you can clear a boundary um, or have some decent leg spin, you'll be able to make make the side. Um, Shamar Brooks would never be anywhere close to the side in the in the GOAT generation, 2012-2016 generation. So the fact he was able to get a run in the West Indies side sort of highlights the lack of talent we have in, in the format. And it's interesting, um, just to touch on Ken R. Lewis, Jason Holder's come out in an interview today and um, highlighted, supported what um, Pollard said about there needs to be a sort of T20 
T20 local tournament that sort of serves as a step up into um, the CPR. I know we have the 60, but it's a different format and you still get overseas players in that. So it's very different, but a purely local, similar to the T20 Banks tournament they used to have pre-CPR, just to give players some form running into CPR. And I think Ken R. Lewis is a classic example. He only really plays CPR in terms of T20 franchise tournaments. So he essentially has to find his form on an annual basis. Um, we know he plays some T20 in Abu Dhabi, but in terms of T20 franchise tournaments, he doesn't get gigs elsewhere because there's a limit on overseas players and he's not a star player at the moment. So he's relying on playing well at one, every year at one franchise tournament. So something like a local T20 tournament, we're seeing growing voices talking about it. You just feel like someone like a Ken R. Lewis is a perfect example of someone who would benefit from, from that. And I think just the fact you've now got Pollard and now Holder talking about it, Jason Holder, um, means it wouldn't surprise me if, if in five years' time when we're talking there is a t- T20 tournament to sort of benefit the type of Ken R. Lewis players um, in the region. Yeah, m- listen, there has to be one. How Cricket West Indies negotiate that with CPL, given the rights that CPL pretty much have over T20 cricket um, in the region? Well, that's another question altogether. But I think Cricket West Indies could get away with it running a domestic tournament if they just didn't include the stars. All they, to, to be honest, Santok, if it was me, run the tournament when IPL is going on. Now, some of you gonna, some people are going to listen to that guy and ask you stupid, who's going to watch it, so on and so forth. Okay, I hear all that. But at least when IPL's going on, it's your second-tier West Indians who are going to play in that tournament. That's fitting the criteria. Um, we tend to have our first-class uh, first season going on when IPL's going on. But do you see what I mean, Sintoki? You can run it because it's not as... The point I'm trying to make is you don't have to include the top tier players. People then say, but who's going to sponsor it? So on and so forth. Okay, fine. But there, there are windows to run a sub, not a sub a second tier Caribbean cricket tournament. And to be honest, Santoki, we should probably do an episode on it. Um, so let me not talk too much on it. But I would love to, Santoki, to see us go back to the, the Stanford, the original Stanford tournament uh, or Caribbean Cup tournament when... Nevis were in it, Grenada were in it. Everyone played as themselves. Grenada were in it. St. Martin were in it. That's all you have to do because you're not going to have the top tier players anyway. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that that, that would be something that would be great for the region. As you said, though, the logistics and the finances, I'm sure people will have questions about sponsorship and that kind of thing. But you just feel there is a gap in the market and Cricket West Indies could managed to pull it off um, with the resources they have. So we'll have to just watch this space. As you said, we'll probably dedicate a whole episode to this because it's a big, big talking point. But Mash, I think it speaks volume for the Jamaica Talawas. We've been on air now for 23 minutes and we haven't needed to mention the bowling. I think that sort of mentions just how good the bowling has been for the Jamaica Talawas this season. I think in our previous episode on the Patriots, we talked about a lack of a spearhead bowler. Jamaica Talawas don't have that problem. Mohamed Amir comes in the power play, bowls with the new ball, does what he does. Scares, scares batsmen, takes wickets, restricts runs. He's all you sort of want from an overseas pace bowler. And I think generally that's somewhere where the Talawas have shone. Yeah, uh, and, and you, you basically hit the nail on the head, Santoki. Um, that's, it is the one area that I've not been overly concerned. And yes, okay, in one of their recent matches against Guyana, they gave up 194. Um, even in that match, up until the 17th over, Guyana were 104 for seven. So the, the Talawas bowling has shown up quite regularly. It's the inconsistent batting, which is more of an issue. But I think if there's any uh, Pakistani fans listening to this, 
there's probably an argument to say that Mohamed Almir is bowling well enough to once again get back into Pakistan recognition if they can convince him to do so. Um, there I mentioned that Imad Wazim has taken 12 wickets um, at 17 at economy of 6.20. I think we mentioned him on our Twitter feed when we weren't in Twitter jail recently yeah. <laughs> and we had loads of we had loads of Pakistani fans acting us going don't mention his name it's gonna cause it's gonna cause some kind of riot in Pakistani cricket so the, the, the Jamaica Talawar's bowling attack has been spearheaded by the contribution of those two they've just been the personification of consistency and I think with any bowling attack if you get two or three consistent bowlers you're always in the tournament in, in, in some shape or form, because they'll either win you a game or they're at least going to keep you in a game in, in, in most senses. So, yeah, Amir's done his job. Wazim's done his job. The only problem, I think, outside of that is they've always had to do their job because outside of those two, like take someone like a Chris Green, Santoki. He's consistent. So in this tournament, it's taken six wickets, economy 6.25. He's consistent, but he's not He's not a match winner. Miguel Pretorius is not a match winner. Fabian Allen hasn't bowled enough. He's not a match winner. So the only concern I have for the Talawas going into the playoffs is you're basically asking uh, Mohamed Amir and Imad Razim to always bowl well. but And that the better sides, your Barbados Royals, and obviously now the the Amazon Warriors, now they're in spin paradise in, um, at Providence, the better sides will always have three to four bowlers bowling well. The Talawas can't guarantee that. And those things tend to be the 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 kind of intangibles and the, the one percenters that make a difference in knockout cricket. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent analysis. I think Chris Green and uh, Pretorius, as you say, they're players who would do quote-unquote they'll do a job so you know what you'll get from them but they're not going to take three four wickets and kind of turn a match on its head those is what you need to Amir and Wasim to do but as you said it's a lot of pressure on them they've they've been in pressure situations before they played at the highest level at World Cup so you'd imagine they'd be able to carry it through to the playoffs but if one of them was to lose form or or for whatever reason um then you wonder who else is going to step up and it's interesting Fabian Allen hasn't bowled much Robin Powell said it was because of the matchups doesn't suit his game obviously with Guyana the Providence pitch offering more to spin it'll be interesting to see if he comes into it more um so there's a, there's a lot of things but I think one thing you can say is out of all the franchises, the Talawas probably have one of the better bowling lineups this season. That's probably what's managed to push them over the line ahead of Trimbago and uh, the Patriots this season, Mash. But as we're about to wrap it up, you know, this, we've, we've done another deep dive into a franchise, Mash. As Jamaica Talawas super fan, let's hear it. What's your prediction? Where are the Talawas going to finish this season? Are they going to go all the way and cross the final line? I think Santoki ultimately a lot depends on who they face um, in in the eliminator. Um, my head says they're getting knocked out no matter who they play. My heart <laughs> says my heart says that if they can fight somehow find their way into the final, because the reality is and we already know they're not ending in the top two. So they'll have to play two matches to, to get to the final. And the reality is they've ended third or fourth for a reason. Do you, do you know? They've scraped in for a reason. The chances of them being able to put together three back-to-back, back-to-back-to-back to back, back to back wins to win CPL when <laughs> they've only won one game since the opening stages of the tournament. 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's slim to none. So obviously I'll be supporting them, but I would be shocked if they end up as the tournament winners. Fair enough. But I think, Mash, that, that's it from now, I think, from us. Uh, we've done a deep dive. Obviously, we're heading into the final week of CPL, so we'll be back very soon. Maybe one of our franchises, Guyana or Jamaica, will be lifting the title. But whatever happens, we'll be back reviewing the action as always. Stay locked in, people. Thanks for listening to West Indies on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can also download the 99.94 app from wherever you get your apps. If you'd like to follow us personally, go to at Carib Cricket on Twitter and Instagram. You can also head to www.caribbeancricketpodcast.com where you can find links to everything we do outside of 99.94. If you'd like to follow us personally, you can find Santelki at Santelki89 and Michelle at MashSTPaddy. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of cricket audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Monty in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at Pit Pass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. <laughs>